This episode is brought to you by Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight to your pocket for free. Their main mission is to create a completely new bridge between companies and shareholders and really to reinvent investor relations as we know it. You can try out Quarter today by typing in Q-U-A-R-T-R in your app store of choice. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R or simply click the link in the show notes. And there's five key points to remember about Quarter. One, Quarter is completely free. Two, they include companies from over 16 markets today and plan to add more over time. Three, they easily allow new companies on their platform by simply requesting the ticker of the company and they'll get back to you instantly. Four, users can now leave reactions while listening to calls to make their voices heard. And five, again, it's free and I only back products that I believe in and products that I use every single day. Quarter is an everyday part of my process and I wouldn't live without it. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Try it out today. I'm also excited to announce our newest sponsor, Tegas. Tegas has the world's largest collection of instantly available interviews on all the public and private companies you care about. All you have to do is log in and type in a stock ticker or a keyword. For example, if you're interested in gaming stocks, you can type in RBLX for Roblox, or type in the keyword metaverse and instantly read hundreds of calls on the company and industry. Tegas actually makes primary research fun and effortless too. Instead of weeks and months, you can learn a new industry or company in hours, and all from those that know it best. Now, I only sponsor products that I use every day, and Tegas is no exception. Since joining, I spend nearly all my time reading Tegas calls on existing companies and new ideas into my portfolio, and I know you will too. So if you're interested, head on over to tegas.co forward slash value hive for a free trial to see for yourself. Again, that's tegas.co forward slash value hive. Before we dive into today's conversation, I want to talk to you about MIT Investment Management Company, also known as Matimco, the investment office of MIT. Each year, Matimco invests with a handful of new emerging managers who it believes can earn exceptional long-term returns in support of MIT's mission. In order to help the emerging manager community more broadly, they created emergingmanagers.org, a website for emerging manager stock pickers. For those looking to start a stock picking fund or those just looking to learn about how others have done it, I highly recommend this site. You'll find essays and interviews by successful emerging managers, service providers used by MIT's own fund managers, essays Matimco has written for emerging stock pickers, and more. Matimco also occasionally and opportunistically hires new members for their investment team. To view the job description, please visit matimco.org slash global dash investor. That's M-I-T-I-M-C-O dot O-R-G slash global dash investor. The Matimco team spends their time learning about great businesses and investments, working with exceptional investors around the world in order to support generations of MIT innovators. All right, Aaron, you got to tell me about this one big thing that happened today that no one's really talking about in the cannabis space, and it, and it kind of starts on the political side. So before we get into there, the caveat that I have been bullish on cannabis for the past year, and I have been very wrong so far, okay? We'll now, get that into that. Doesn't, that doesn't dissuade me, okay? But like, cannabis is in a terrible bear market, and I have been wrong. So I think this is a great way to start off an interview. Like just, you got to do your own diligence, obviously. Yeah. But take everything I say with a grain of, of salt, because at least for the last year, 
I have been very wrong. So that all that being said, mm -hmm. today was a really important day for cannabis, uh, the cannabis industry, because where I, I'm trying to think about where I should start. So you probably people probably see in the news all this stuff about the House passing repeatedly, the House of Representatives passing cannabis legalization, cannabis reform repeatedly over and over. And nothing happens. Why? Because it's been stopped dead in the Senate. Hmm. It used to be stopped dead in the Senate when Mitch McConnell was the Senate Majority Leader. But now it's been stopped dead remarkably by the Democrats, and specifically uh, Chuck Schumer. And you're asking why. And this has been one of the main reasons that I think the whole sector has been in a massive bear market. Right. Is there was this belief that the Democrats taking power in the Senate and presidency meant that you were going to get cannabis reform, you were going to get legalization, and all these companies that are on secondary or tertiary Canadian exchanges or over the counter were suddenly going, they had a path to the NASDAQ. You had uh, potential, I mean, people, I mean, you can't use credit cards at dispensaries, right? <laughs> you know, like these, yeah. uh, they pay these extraordinary taxes, uh, 280E, where they can't deduct anything. So the tax rates are like absurdly high. There's all these things they have to deal in cash. There's companies that I talk to where they say, we have 140 bank accounts. You know, That's in all these different states, it's just crazy. It's a totally crazy industry when you dive into it. But, and so the question is like, why? Why has the Senate stopped all? And so there's been this big argument going on in the cannabis space between advocates for legalization. Should you get incremental reform or should you get the kitchen sink and just fight for legalization? And the progressive wing has said, you can't give any inch because if you do, we're, we're gonna delay the broad legalization. In other words, you can't just like help the banking or help the businesses or you can't do any limited reform because then just kicking the ball and it may be another 20 years before mm -hmm. we get to this. The problem is the Senate requires, it has a filibuster. And we just saw this because of, uh, um, we just saw this because of the Build Back Better bill. Remember that was a right. big argument. You needed 60 votes. If you don't have 60 votes, you can't, any one Senator can stand up and filibuster a bill. So the idea that you're going to get this broad kitchen sink legalization in an evenly divided Senate um, in a time when you have fierce partisanship is very unlikely. Mm -hmm. And so the progressives, though, have been pushing for this. Now, why is this important? Chuck Schumer is under is is up for reelection. And The New York Times just had a great article, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, about how far to the left he has tacked and how he has courted every progressive, even supporting socialist candidates uh, for government uh, in New York and how he's been like a supporter of progressives left and right because Chuck Schumer's biggest obstacle is not the Republicans 
when he runs in the Democratic leaning state of New York, mm-hmm. it is a progressive challenge. And there's been a history of centrist Democrats up for re-election. And it's also the same thing happened on the Republican side, where you have the far right, more extreme people are attacking the centrists. Mm-hmm. Um, and once they get into the primary, they, they, they're losing. And so Chuck Schumer has tacked to the left on everything. I was like really crazy watching the Build Back Better bill. And there was a limited, a more limited option, a smaller bill that was available. But he took a hard line. He took a really hard line in that, hey, we got to get this massive bill or we're not doing anything. And, and the New York Times had this great article about just like, how far he's gone. Mm-hmm. Well, let's bring us to, 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 to today. April 7th, which is today, is the last day, and it's now 612 on the Eastern, it is the last day to register for the, for the primary to run in, as a Democrat in the New York Senate. Mm-hmm. There is no, no prominent uh, progressive has filed you can look up the fundraising stats. I think the nearest person, I've never heard of any of the people that are running. I think they've raised maybe five or $10,000. And Chuck Schumer has $35 million that he's raised so far. So there's no AOC. There was rumor that uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, was going to primary him. She has decided not to. This is probably the last time he's going to run for senator anyway. So it didn't make sense. And how old is a rumor. he? Like 102 years old or something. Uh, I don't think he's, he's not as old as the others, but he's very, very smart politician. Like you don't get to be the Senate majority leader without being very, very smart and to know what you do. Yeah. So today was the last day. He launched his progressive, he called it a CAOA, I forget, cannabis, something. You know, there's all these acronyms. He launched a draft version of this bill last summer and has done nothing with it. And it was like this progressive kitchen sink dream of a bill has announced nothing. And suddenly at the end of April, so in about two weeks or so, we're going to hear finally see his legislation just happens to be after April 7th. And so uh, I believe that now that he knows he's going to be reelected, he has no challenger. His path is clear. You are going to see the, he has been holding back from allowing a Senate majority leader. He can, he dictates what laws move forward. And so let's back up to November. The House has passed a bill called safe banking, which in my opinion, based on the people that I talked to, the research I've done, has broad bipartisan support and has more than 60 senators who support it. What is safe banking? What it does is it shields the financial industry from prosecution, uh, liability, or working with state legal cannabis companies. Why is this important? Well, one, you can't use credit cards. You can't, no banks are dealing with cannabis companies. It's just only like credit unions and small state banks. Um, You, investors, most investors, about nine, I estimate at least 95% of the institutional world is not involved in cannabis. 
because of, they can't custody it. Yep. Uh, many of the prime brokers don't allow it. Um, I know U.S. Bank doesn't allow it. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's J.P. Morgan. There's yep. like a whole list. Pershing, uh, you know, Robinhood. You can't buy cannabis stocks. I've had multiple large banks refuse to wire me investor funds because I made the mistake of putting cannabis in my new fund. The yeah, name that was that was clearly a mistake. <laughs> That was clearly a mistake. Looking you know, back. But it was just very, very eye-opening. I have, yeah. I talk to people who manage, you know, 80, 90 billion dollars, whose day job is to invest. And they're one of the portfolio managers and their compliance departments have told them it's money laundering to invest. There are other money managers who are like, it's just not worth the risk for the extra basis points of alpha. Right. There, there are also these things trade on secondary and tertiary exchanges with limited liquidity and they can move like this. Mm -hmm. And so um, safe banking is a path out of it. So it becomes super important. There's also been robberies and fatalities uh, because cannabis is mainly a cash business. It's not. That's why it's called safe banking, because it's totally absurd that you're forcing businesses to use in cash. So right. you would talk credit card, credit cards, credit costs would come down. Even the top companies can borrow at seven to nine, have to borrow at seven to nine percent interest. Yeah. Um, and I talked to some private companies that are literally paying three percent a month in oh interest costs. Oh my gosh! It's just it's totally crazy. Wow. Um, and but it, it's even more important than that because there's all these efforts on the Democratic side to uh, promote social equity and minority-owned businesses, yep. but they can't, they have no chance. They literally have no chance. If you're constraining private capital, only the biggest, only the best run, only those with access to capital and cash flows right. uh, can get investor capital. So they're constraining the industry. So, you know, you have New York and New Jersey about to go adult use. And if you want to bring in those minority, you want to bring in the social justice, you need private capital. So you need to shield the financial industry. You need to lower these barriers so more capital can come in. Mm -hmm. And so what I basically believe that it means is it's a potential path. And so you've had this bill, safe banking, that has passed six times in the House, has never got a hearing in the Senate. Never. So why is that? Why is that? Is it just, well, is it just well, bipartisan first, games? Mitch McConnell didn't want it. Yeah. And then second, it's because Chuck Schumer was tacking hard to the left and was worried about a progressive challenge. And the progressives were telling him, don't do this. We want the kitchen sink. Got it. Now, that is not a problem for Chuck Schumer. And now there's the ability to compromise and have an incremental gain and while it may be incremental, it has enormous implications mm -hmm. because what happens when you have um, cannabis companies that are growing at 30, 40, 50, some of them 100% a year, but that trade at single digit EBITDA multiples? What happens when they can start, their customers can start using credit cards? What happens when their credit costs plunge? What happens if these companies can trade on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ? What happens when you have trillions of dollars of capital or even passive capital through indexes? Yeah. Suddenly try to buy companies that are that are large, like companies doing four, five hundred, six hundred million dollars in EBITDA. Right. 
when suddenly they try to invest in companies that trade two to $5 million a day in stock volume. It'll be a game of price discovery. It's going to get pretty nutty. People like me, guess what? I'm not selling them a share. The minute safe banking, I'm more likely to buy. Right, exactly. Because I know what's going to happen. It's going to be a game of price discovery. So anyway, long story short, I think there's a window. Do I think this is going to... would never be so arrogant to say that I know what's going to happen in politics or that I even know what the stocks, you know, are going to do. I don't, but if I handicap it, I think you have better than even odds. I think it's about 60, 65% in the next 90 days, there's a window for compromise. And I, I just wrote a long post about this where the house has attached safe banking to the America competes bill. They passed it. And what's the, the American competes bill? Just it's a bill, you know, that basically provide more funding for semiconductors. Okay. Uh, has nothing to do with cannabis. Yeah. But just like a port a fierce, port barrel thing. Yeah, yeah. But there's a fierce advocate for cannabis, uh, Representative Perlmutter, who almost tried to blow up the defense spending bill in just in November. He was so upset that it wasn't included. He then met with Nancy Pelosi. He was about to file an amendment. And the defense bill is like a must-pass bill, right? Super important, obviously, now yeah. um, with Ukraine and everything. But he met with Pelosi and after that decided, no, I'm not going to. And he, said, said, he then said, I'm going to attach this to every bill that comes out of the House. Okay? Mm-hmm. Why this is important is he met with Pelosi, but you rewind to 2018. People may not remember this. This is a lot of inside politics. I spent a lot of time on this. Yeah, but this is- Nancy Pelosi had a fierce battle to be reelected as Speaker of the House when there were a lot of people opposed to her. Representative Paul- Perlmutter brokered uh, a deal for her to remain as Speaker of the House in 2018. Broker to and deal so there is a, so snaky. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I don't know it is what, what it is. What they, it is what it is. I'm on this politics, right? So, so the way I'm reading tea leaves is yeah. that I believe Pelosi's going to have his back, that you have a bill that if it's going to pass, the Senate's passed it. And so when they pass different versions of the bill, they have something called the conference process. That's coming up in May. And so what happens when Chuck Schumer no longer has to worry about progressives mm-hmm. and there's a bill that both sides want to pass and you have potentially Pelosi backing Perlmutter and the entire House, which has passed it six times, is going to fight for the safe banking. Yeah, It's possible American competes goes nowhere. It doesn't. But it's not going to pass, I believe, unless there's safe banking. And that's why I think there's a window. That's why I think it's important to watch what's going on. That's why today was important. Because when you have alcohol companies that are growing at 3 or 4% a year, trade at 20 and 25 times EBITDA, and I'm literally buying companies for 3 to 5 times yeah. um, that are growing a multiples faster with a decade of tailwind with all of these states going adult use, it yep. becomes a pretty important thing. Yeah. Well, let's 
There's so much to unpack from that, but I want to take what you just said there and hit you with a few questions. Cause this is, I guess, one of my biggest concerns uh, cause you brought up the alcohol industry and, and that's, oh, kind of, there, and should, that's there should be a lot of concerns. Yeah. Well, so this is cannabis. like if I, if I'm, if I'm using a mental model for cannabis, like alcohol is kind of a pretty good one. It's, you know, prohibition 2.0 as, as, as Ben Kovler calls it of, uh, of, of, of green thumb. But I think one of the reasons why you have these alcohol brands, spirits and all that stuff, whether it's Diageo or anything else, they command those premiums because they have brand power, they have stickiness with their brands and, 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 and their customers. And so for me, trying to underwrite cannabis brand power over the next three to five years, um, like, if if it does turn out that the cannabis consumer brand follows that of alcohol, even like directionally correct, then I think you're looking at multiples today that are absolutely stupid cheap, right? Because then if 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 you have brand power that sticks, you have pricing power, you have margin power and potential margin expansion. If that's not the case, and you have safe banking, everything opens up, there's you know tons of cheap capital you basically have what every investor doesn't really want to have, right? Which is just a massive amount of competition to come in, to compete, to drive down price, to drive down margins. So how are you thinking about that playing out over the next three to five years? Because on one hand, from like a social justice and kind of from like a social credit perspective, I totally agree. Like let's have more people open more businesses in more communities to bring more jobs, more products, more opportunity. But as an investor, I don't want any of those things, right? Like I want the barriers to entry. I want, I want people not to be able to compete with the biggest chains and then just buy the biggest chains. So there's a lot in there. Yeah. And there's some things that I don't know for certain. Yeah. So when I think about the cannabis sector, I think about like, you know, just in terms of probabilities and yep. what I see in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and so let's address brands first. Yep. I hear this sometimes that somehow cannabis is going to be the only industry in business and consumable on earth where there are no brands that emerge. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just going to dis I'm going to, I basically dismiss that argument because I know this from human behavior that when you, it doesn't matter if you're buying something from Prada or you're buying a McDonald's hamburger, you're buying that brand for a reason. It hits the value price, it's consistent and it meets your expectation, okay? And so on the higher end of stuff and maybe like, blue bottle coffee versus like Folgers or Starbucks is a way to think about it. Cause you know, caffeine is a stimulant. So it's uh, it's not regulated, but people are trying to achieve different things or they're reaching for those brands for very different, for very reason. And I see the same thing. Part of the problem in cannabis is it's, it's been difficult, but there already are brands out there. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with like the cookies brand just trying to achieve a very high quality. And I've, you know, just in California, I mean, I got into cannabis because I occasionally suffer like really bad bouts of insomnia. Okay. And uh, 
I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy and a gummy or a tea or chocolate can, and now I just knowing it's in the cabinet, like if I lay down and I can't go to sleep, it, you know, has been life altering for me. Yeah. Um, but there are one or two brands that I reached for, like the Kiva sleep gummies or the plus uh, gummies. I just know they work. And exactly. so I'm going to keep reaching for those brands because I, I, I know I don't have any excited. There's a consistent um, experience. Um, and, and so there are brands that are emerging there, there is, this is going to be a branded opportunity who exactly is going to succeed. I'm not entirely sure. I just know that consumers are going to go for that consistent. The consistency is actually really important. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that if you research the cannabis space is the biggest question, because it turns out when you talk to insiders, you talk to growers cultivators, et cetera, they will tell you the biggest challenge is how do you grow high quality cannabis at scale consistently? And it turns out it is really, really hard. So why is that? And cannabis plant is very sensitive. I'd ask you, what other plant is grown primarily indoors? Well, what other agriculture product is primarily indoors? I mean, I can't really think of any that's naturally grown or supposed to there isn't. grow indoors. Yeah, there, there, there isn't. And so you just ask yourself, well, wait, why is that? And that's why when you hear like a person who hasn't researched or hasn't talked to insiders or operators in the business, you'll hear a common thing. And it's just ignorance where they'll say, oh, the tobacco companies are just going to come in. And they're gonna grow everything, right? And then you just immediately know that that person really hasn't done much in the way of due diligence, and that's just a cursory, you know, opinion that isn't really based on any industry knowledge or understanding of how cannabis is grown or where it's grown or why it's grown indoors. And so what you find is it's primarily grown indoors is because it's super sensitive plant, and then if you want the same percentage TEC, terpenes, and you want the same effect over and over, you got to really control the environment. And you got to use the like, same Almost equipment. like building semiconductors where you've got like the, everybody's wearing yes. those suits and there's no hairs involved. And that's exactly like a rocket. Exactly ladder. right. I, I remember seeing one person, one insider, you know, I showed him a picture. Someone was touching a cannabis plant in a grow house and he's like, Ah, what is that person doing touching the plants? And I was like, wait, what? Why would you comment on that? And then you realize and dive in mm. the pests problem, the mold problem. If this was easy to grow, you still wouldn't have the Canadians who are who have destroyed so much capital. We could talk about that as well, that they're still having failed harvests. Wow. They're still having failed harvests in December. I think canopy growth and um, had like a massive failed harvest of of plants. And so a failed then, harvest does it mean? It just had like you just had a bunch of mold. Okay, and, so and it's not necessarily like we were looking this, for 0.25 THC and we got 0.1. It's like this then, plant's actually then, dead. Yes, or yeah. or yeah, or there's mold, or there's other issues, and then you'll have wild inconsistency if you don't. If you're not on top of it, you need to be like 
and and the 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 companies that you really want to pay attention to are the ones that hey say hey not only do we grow the but we're investing in the team it's the cultivation team that might be the most important so when you think brand you think cpg you think long term it's all about consistency mm-hmm. so that's one of the things that i look for when i'm talking to companies or looking at companies is how are they trying to ad- address that consistency at scale? Because it's those companies that I think are more likely to succeed. Yeah. Someone like a green thumb, uh, someone like Verano. I know air is trying to do this as well. Air wellness, Glasshouse brands, which just uh, is turning on the largest greenhouse in the world, a state of the art, five and a half million square feet location that is located in God's gift to the environment, just south of me, um, where the sun, it's sunny for 320 days a year, the average temperature is 70 degrees. And it doesn't get cold. Yeah, so it's like all of these things, like it becomes really, really important of how, what is your strategy to attack that question? And so I go back to my question. I don't know who is the, who, is going to succeed, but I know you're more likely to succeed if you're attacking that problem head on. Right. Is that's the that's the biggest problem. And what will happen is when the industry opens up, when alcohol comes in, CPG comes in, private equity comes in, big tobacco comes in, they're going to go and they're going to buy because they don't have that expertise. They don't yeah. have that infrastructure. They don't have those licenses, they don't have the distribution, and they definitely don't know how to grow cannabis at scale. But I guarantee you they know who does. Yeah, and it's gonna it's 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 gonna look like the PepsiCo's and stuff like that, buying up all the smaller energy drink brands that 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 we've seen. And they'll experiment or buy yep. little stakes or they'll loan them some money, some convertible deals. They'll do it in a billion different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just going to be fascinating to, to, to watch. But one of the most fascinating things is because it's capital constrained, yeah. because you don't have the investment world, because you don't, you have these companies that are able to build and grow and experiment with brands without traditional competition. So in an ironic way, the longer this has gone on, the more the advantages have grown to the leading companies. Mm-hmm. You mentioned tobacco um, companies, you know, just some some people saying, oh, well, you know, tobacco can come in and kind of do this relatively quickly. Do you think, given the capital constraints of the cannabis companies today, uh, tobacco would have an easier time just deploying a lot of their resources to match or exceed whatever is going on today, right? No, so, I think they would buy because you, you need okay. the licenses. Yep, that's Literally, it. you need the licenses. Right. Like, uh, so one of the really interesting things is co- all these companies are trying to backdoor yep. and hack the system to get in. Um, so Scott's Miracle Grow has a division called Hawthorne. Hawthorne. Yep. Hawthorne. <laughs> that are basically providing accessories like equipment and all this stuff for the cannabis industry. But they also gave money to a Canadian company called Riv Capital. It used to be called Canopy Rivers. And Riv Capital is this 
they used to be a venture, a cannabis venture fund. Now they're just like a glorified SPAC without the SPAC economics. <laughs> they just, I know this is, this is the hurdles that companies are trying to get through, right? So Scott's Miracle Grow through their Hawthorne division, loaned money to Riv Capital so that Riv Capital could buy one of the 10 licenses in New York for $247 million and then spend another $100 million on CapEx just for New York. Wow. Could you imagine And, being and they had the... to do it through a convertible <laughs> note and you can't use it for operations. It's like all this weird stuff and they're working. And, and so that's the hurt of them desperately trying to get into just one market. Could you imagine being and, an accountant at one of these cannabis companies? Like, no, no, we're, I'm in the wrong business. Question. I should be, a, I should be a cannabis lawyer. How do you, how That's do you, the like, real. you went like you, you said one company had 140 bank accounts. I can't imagine being like the CFO. No, have you, have part you, have of the you problem, talked? that one company, Verano, okay. literally scared the crap out of me uh, yeah. uh, last night um, and basically said, hey, we're going to file earnings. Uh, we're not ready. Our accountants are having... <laughs> Uh, problems with one dispensary we acquired in 2019. So we got to delay it. It's probably like a week. Like that normally happens, right? With, uh, yeah. you know, the other thing that's going on is these companies are consolidating and making all this M&A over every state is like its own country hmm. because every state has different laws, different rules, and cannabis can't cross state lines. Well, the states have decided this. And so there's incredible complexity. There's a lot of acquisitions back and forth. And there's a lot of frenzies activity to kind of build out footprints. And it causes a lot, a lot of complexity. It's a, it's because a, there's it's kind a of a foot labyrinth. race to build it out before yeah. it really opens up. Right. And everybody's trying to build capacity for that day. Everybody's trying to get before it's locked in. And this is another issue that I, I, I want to explain of why I think long-term you've got to look why cannabis is just so interesting is it's not just the federal illegality, right? They're state legal, but it's federal illegality, but it's also the state rules. Very across the board. Mm -hmm. You have some states like Massachusetts, you can only own three dispensaries. In Florida, there's forced vert vertical integration. You can't sell weed you don't grow or any product you can't grow. So what does that mean in Florida, for example? Well, it means if you want to open one dispensary, that's probably like a, I don't know, 20, $25 million investment. Why? Because you've got to not only open the dispensary, but then you You've got to build the cultivation capacity and the grow operation to supply all of your needs. Then you've got to build a manufacturing so that you can do all the edibles and concentrates, like just for one dispensary. So yeah. there's only like five companies that can effectively compete in Florida. And then if you're thinking about a national brand or trying to get into the best markets, you've got to replicate that quality and the the procedures and every equipment, people, process. How many people have experience growing cannabis at scale? 
Not many, I assume. That's one of the biggest problems, right? You might have people that are really great at growing craft cannabis mm-hmm. at a certain amount, but at serious size, just yeah. doesn't, doesn't, I mean, it's like maybe a handful of people. So there are like real issues. There's some markets that are medicinal, some markets that are adult, some markets that are transitioning. In Minnesota, I, I, this is crazy. There are only two licensed companies in the entire state. Two, Green Thumb, that well, once these mergers go through, Green Thumb and Verano. Yep. A state of 5 million people, there's only two operators. Nice little duopoly. In New York, there's only 10. In New Jersey, 15, there's been this crazy fight in cannabis where um, the regulators were like, oh, get ready for August 2021. We're going to approve uh, adult use. And then they didn't. Yeah. And then they're like, and they kept delaying and delaying and delaying. Now it looks like it's going to be this month. Um, it looks like. And it, I think it's cast a huge pall over this because when you run the numbers, you realize these companies are going to make ridiculous amounts of money. There's, there's literally only a handful of companies that can support the industry. And because it's so capital constrained, no one's ready. And yeah. so the regulators are like, we're literally going to hand these companies like ridiculous amounts of money. And so they're like, we don't want to do that. We don't want to see them benefit. Hmm. You know, we want other social equity or whatever, but there's no capital for the social equity. Yeah. So it's like this catch. Anyway, so it looks like April 11th, they're going to give the green, the, the thumbs up and that either on April 11th, 420 or May 1st, depending on what you hear, you're going to rip. And you can run some numbers that like a company like Verano could produce, you know, it's like $2.9 billion enterprise value, $3 billion enterprise value. Depends on the day because these things move around. Um, I think they could produce $100 million in EBITDA from New Jersey alone. That's pretty nutty. Three point three point five five billion per- today. Yeah, that's it, their market. That's probably Canadian, though. It is. Yep. Yeah. So it's just in U.S. dollars with their debt. It's probably around. Right. But um, but so so if you just think about that, there Ascend Wellness uh, is another company in New Jersey. They have a dispensary in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Okay. What's it called? Uh, Ascend, like ascending a mountain. Ascend okay. Wellness. Okay. Uh, they have a dispensary in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Now, if you're familiar with, are you in New York or I forget exactly. I am in Maryland. So about three oh, okay, hours you're in New York. Oh, yeah. Maryland, the lawyers, uh, the, the legislators just filed that it's adult uh, legalization is going to be on the ballot in November. Yep. So Maryland's about to go to adult use. Yep. But Ascend Wellness is talking about, they were throwing out like they don't know, but the Fort Lee, New Jersey, because it's right next to New York, their dispensary could do $40 million plus in revenue. And that's just one dispensary. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And so, but, but this is another part of the broader thesis you brought, you know, now that I, I remember that you're in Maryland, the entire Northeast in the next 12 or 18 months is going to go from either a medical or just go full adult use. Yeah. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, possibly Ohio, even though it's not really in the Northeast. You have markets where 
it's going to turn on. It's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be everywhere. Yep. And knowing that it's going to be everywhere, it it's almost like drinking from a fire hose, right? Trying to distill all of this cannabis information, right? I mean, just the complexity of it alone is 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 unbelievable. Yeah. So how then? Because again, I'm 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 viewing this conversation almost as a crash course in cannabis investing. How do you go from all of this information to then trying to identify which businesses to invest in, right? Because you've got, I assume yeah. you've got kind of like the growers, um, and then you've got the distributors, and then maybe you've got like the ag, we'll call it ag tech, right? Where maybe because I think Agrify might fall into this like ag tech platform where you're trying to help the distributor or you're trying to help the growers make more consistent. Uh, cannabis. So how do you then go that top down and decipher from there? Great question. I've spent three plus years on it. First, <laughs> why we got what you really, what really, really helps. And I want to go way high level. So the financial industry, the investment world has, and I, I, I don't include myself in this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Has the smartest people in the world. There's so much money at stake. There's so much money to make. You literally have the smartest minds at work. The best technology, computer, AI, algorithms. Like to think that you could compete. Good luck, okay? There are people much, much brighter that have much more resources that have every available everything at their disposal. Teams of people, right? You think of some of the great investors, okay? I would be arrogant to think that I could compete against like a a Tepper or Loeb or any of those people. No, my God, I've I've had the chance to talk and meet with Dave Loeb, but not in his class, right? Mm -hmm. But what I can do is I can invest where they're not. And this is one of the great opportunities of cannabis It's because it's federally illegal. I, most of the, I, literally like 95, maybe 98% of the investment world is not involved. Mm-hmm. No one's doing research. So right there, there's no competition, right? Then you have, I don't believe Wall Street culture is a cannabis culture. So when, you know, if you spent, a lot of time around Wall Street people, it's drinks or even harder drugs, but it is not a cannabis culture. And when I talk to colleagues and other people, people are mystified by the plan. Yeah. They don't even know where to begin. Um, and, and I think that that's also a reason why there hasn't been much in the way of research. So part of what attracts me is there just isn't a lot of great research Mm-hmm. And a lot of great investment strategic thinking going on, like basic common sense stuff. Like, hey, what are the problems? What are the issues? Um, you know, who has clear strategies? So, what I have tried to do in terms of how I've approached it is, how can I lose money here? Okay, how you could lose money is well, there's some easy ones in any industry. You can have some unethical people. You can be diluted. A company can go out of business. Their uh, company cannot have a clear-cut strategy. 
um, you know, there could be all over the board, you know, uh, and, you know, does the company have the team and the talent to execute and what they're trying to do? There's some basic things. And so I kind of start there. And so what I'm trying to invest in is companies that have ethical management that has a clear strategy. Now I'm not totally sure what strategy is going to win, which mm. states are perfect, but I want a clear cut strategy that makes common sense to me and to know they won't dilute me or destroy the company in some way. And that they have some equity stake and that their operations, because I know how difficult cannabis is, it's more difficult than any other industry because of the regulatory and the other problems, that you need to um, have not only great operations, but you gotta have great talent. And that's where I, and you gotta have some kind of competitive focus. And then I'm just trying to build a portfolio of the best ones of that, and also take advantage of crazy inefficiency in the market. Mm -hmm. Crazy, crazy inefficiency, like dumb stuff. Like uh, earlier this year, I, I had like a big position in goodness growth, which goodness is growth. now being acquired by Verano. And so what, they, did, what did they do? Walk us through that so we can kind of get into So it's a, a multi-state operator that yep. had struggled uh, not only operationally, but some capital allocation issues, not unethical, um, but they just, they were just small. They just, they just couldn't kind of break out. But they had one of the 10 licenses in New York. Mm -hmm. They had one of the two licenses in Minnesota. And they had, uh, you know, in New Mexico and Maryland. And you could understand what the private, you could just do a limited amount of due diligence, okay? And figure out what is the private market value? Because Green Thumb went out and bought, I think it's LeafLine for $155 million in Minnesota. Like, oh, I've got a value for the Minnesota license. And then you could understand that there were, what the market was for one of the 10 licenses in New York, because the 10 licenses will be grandfathered in. It's very important, it's like a distinction. And so it's probably 200, 250 million. And then say, well, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I think I'm coming up with north of $400 million for this company. Why is it selling for less than $400 million? And it was only selling for less than $400 million if management kept trying to go it alone and kept struggling. Uh, but then there was a really interesting uh, filing that they made the sale lease back, but part of it was redacted, which is super strange yeah, when they filed right. it. And it turns out that someone's, anyway, someone saw it before it was redacted. It was filed with the whole thing. And it said, this sale lease back, even though it's like really high interest rates, the terms are very different if two different companies acquire us. <laughs> I mean, you know, okay, so they're, you're negotiating with two companies to buy you. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like not necessarily rocket science. In a normal industry, someone like me does not find that. Correct. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's all kinds of opportunities in this industry, uh, in this sector, to just do basic research and due diligence and to say, okay, I know what the value is. 
And then also just to be patient and to understand what we're investing in. We're investing in very illiquid companies that trade at second in secondary or tertiary markets um, that is mostly retail that yeah. people don't really appreciate or understand. And, um, you know, there, you also have this giant MSOS index, which, which carries a lot of weight, has over a billion dollars in assets. There are companies that it owns and companies that it doesn't own. And capital flow, it's been in this weird way, been kind of tied to ARC, you know, the ARC index. That kind of makes sense. Um, same you, crowd. You mapped <laughs> Roughly it, the same crowd. Gonna, but this is a crazy thing. And this is what I've been kind of pounding the table on is I understand what ARC is. ARC is this growth, like risky growth, like, hey, we see the future. To me, cannabis is value. I'm not paying 20 times sales, 40 times sales. I'm paying single digit multiples for companies growing double digit percentages with regulatory barriers and with size and capital cost advantages. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are companies that are not in the MSOS or barely participate that you could look at and do research and be like, wait a minute, like, why is it trading for this value? One company, Glasshouse. Most of the companies in the industry are uh, MSOs, multi-state operators. They're basically trying to go in limited license markets and operate and try to basically get a footprint to create a national company and benefit from regulatory capture that right. you have all these crazy rules and earn yeah. outsized margins. And they kind are like liquor licenses, okay? right? Just to kind of give That's people exactly a framing. Right. That's yeah. exactly right. That's exactly right. So uh, what Glasshouse is, is they're in one state, California, which is uh, his, in the last couple of years been a brutal state to operate in. A lot of competition. It's not limited license. It's uh, it, it, it's a very competitive state and it has a history of a very discerning cannabis invest, uh, consumer. So these so what you does gotta that grow like, well, think of the history. If you think about cannabis, where do you think of cannabis? I think Colorado and I think California, right? Yeah. So you have, you have this medical market that goes back, we have a culture, uh, you know, we think of Snoop Dogg, we think of like all- So you know, they know good weed versus They bad. know good weed. So you've got to grow. Yeah. Could we hear? And so, um, and so what is Glasshouse? So what Glasshouse is doing is trying to do a very, has a very differentiated strategy. And what they're trying to do is grow in um, the perfect environment for growing cannabis, Southern California. Cannabis, high quality cannabis at scale from like one or two locations and do it in an incredibly energy efficient, and do it in a greenhouse, not indoors. They estimate that 10% of all the electric demand in Massachusetts comes from growing cannabis indoors. Do, do you insane. think that that's, it's totally insane. It's almost like and Bitcoin you think about mining. That, that's exactly, it's worse. I don't think Bitcoin is 10% of uh, Massachusetts electric grid. Um, Think about climate change. You think about ESG. It's like this is an ESG nightmare, right? Um, and so, uh, Glasshouse uses ninety-five percent less energy. Why? There's no. It's the sun. 
right? They supplement with some lighting. The weather is, per you know, it's a hot day today. It's hot. This is an abnormally hot day. It's 82, okay? That's where I live, okay? And it's wow. like, and it's also like impossible to build anything, but somehow they have the state-of-the-art five and a half million square feet greenhouse. Wow. That they're turning on that got, that, that got uh, built to grow tomatoes that have a 5% margin, okay? It can't be duplicated. I can tell you it's almost impossible to build stuff in the People's Republic of California. <laughs> and so what's happening is because cannabis has been in this bear market, uh, the, 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 the stocks have sold off, but also California has messed up a lot on its legal industry. And it's been just pillory, right? Uh, because it has a massive illicit market. Col based on Colorado, California should have four to 5,000 dispensaries. At the end of the year, they had 860. But then you have this regulatory, you have 60% of the cities and counties just opted out. You have these massive cannabis deserts. Hmm. Then there's been no enforcement of the illicit market. You had this overproduction. It caused cannabis prices to collapse. And the entire cannabis uh, industry, legal industry in California is on the ropes. And, and, and so during this, like it sounds insane, like prices collapsed 50%. Why would you want to turn on the world's largest cannabis greenhouse in the world, right? Five and a half million, it's, it, it's now the largest in the world. Why would, why would you do that? It's insane. Well, because you're the lowest cost producer. And so the average MSO produces cannabis for 700 to $1,000 a pound. Now it's indoors, right? Glasshouse, even before turning on this greenhouse is producing at $166 a pound. And they're headed to $100 a pound. And so remember I told you the, the biggest problem in cannabis was growing high quality cannabis at scale consistently. Yes. And so how do you do that? And this is the key. And so also I told you that interstate commerce is restricted. And so you have places like Illinois, Massachusetts, where cannabis is selling for $3,000 a pound. In California, it's selling for $500. Wow. That won't always be the case. Yeah. So what happens when you're essentially the Saudi Arabia of cannabis and you're producing light, sweet crude at $6, right? Mm -hmm. No one can compete with you. Yeah, and You have an advantage on energy, the environment, et cetera, something that can't be duplicated that no one can compete with. So you're the price setter. Yeah, you'll have swings in the market, but you're always, you're, you're, you're set. And so- what their, what their strategy is, is very differentiated from the MSOs. I actually think the biggest risk to the cannabis, to the multi-state operators is interstate commerce. And is that just because it's going to open up competition? Yeah. I mean, you have all these, you know, why would you, how does it make sense to grow cannabis in Minnesota or Florida or you know, yeah, you'll have some craft grows and everything, but the environment, why are we growing it all indoors? And so, 
And then what happens if you're competing against someone who can produce it for $100 a pound? Mm-hmm. What happens when you're competing against the entire West Coast that has great weather? It's not just California, it's Washington, um, Oregon, et cetera. And so that's my biggest risk. And so what happens when Glasshouse can not sell flour for $500 a pound, but could sell it for $2,000 a pound with 2 million pounds? Yeah. Let me tell you, I've run the numbers and you have a stock that's $5. That in an interstate commerce model, if they're selling for $1,000 a pound could produce $12 a share in cash flow a year. Now it may take five or 10 years, but yeah. I would ask you, Brandon, you give me $5 today and in 10 years, I'm going to start paying you $12 a year. Would you agree to that? Yeah. It sounds like a pretty good proposition. <laughs> yes, that is right. And so, so anyway, so, so the reason I say all of this is that I think you can make a broad portfolio and you can try to not be arrogant enough to know what the future holds, but to go ahead and say, I'm picking good, decent management who have clear cut strategies, who are trying to execute with the best team, who are not going to dilute me, who are not going to do anything unethical. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm investing in. Yep. To your other question, you asked about the accessories. Yeah. So cannabis is the wild west. There are, you have to be very careful. Uh, I'm going to be careful on how I say this, but I would highly recommend you read the 10K of uh, AgriFi's uh, latest 10K. Okay. It is concerning. Well, it's concerning didn't, didn't why they didn't they I saw some like alert. And again, this 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 happens, you know, often I'm saying often in air quotes, because sometimes it's not, you know, sm- smoke and mirrors, but there was like a law firm that I guess was out and they said like, hey, you guys need to pay attention to this or something. Something sketchy is going on in AgriFi. <laughs> if, if I understand correctly, yeah, uh, some big part of their revenue in some year before they went public related to building a school that the CEO was on the board of. See, that would have worked literally last year in 2020. They were off by it, one or two years. It worked and, for a while. And that that literally wouldn't have mattered two years ago, but now it does. And I, and I say this, I interviewed the CEO. I thought what they were doing was interesting. Um, and you just have to be very, very careful. You got to do your due diligence. You got to uh, really dive in. You got to see the prior actions. You got to see, um, and, and, and this is the hard, in many ways, this is kind of like the wild west. Yeah. And this attracts people that are very aggressive entrepreneurs. It attracts people that are in Snake it for not the right money. reasons. And we're trying to take advantage or trying to build something from nothing. Um, and you just, you have to be, you have to be careful. You got to keep your eye with anything. You got to keep your eyes wide open. This is, this is one of those industries you, you have to be extra careful. So when you're, you know, investing in a broad, broad base of these, of these types of companies, do you find that the bulk of these businesses are, let's say MSOs, or do you find that they're, I think most of the interesting ones are MSOs, but there are some either single state operators or there is one, you know, a couple of smaller companies 
that are interesting that are on the periphery. I'm okay. a bull on the whole industry. And so I'm, I think we're in, I don't even think, the reason I started my a dedicated fund is I don't think the ball game has started. I know this is the first day of uh, Major League Baseball, but I think we're in spring training. Hmm. I don't think the season started. I don't think the game has started. You ask what inning we're in. Because think about a multi-state operator. Multi-state operator, they grow it. They distribute it. They're developing brands. They are uh, selling to the consumer. They own the real estate. Uh, you know, they have everything, right? Yeah. All under one roof. What is capitalism good at? Capitalism is good at slicing and dicing a million ways and extracting the value. We haven't even come to the part where there are just branded or licensing plays, that there are just distributors, that there are hybrid plays, uh, that there are just retailers. We haven't even we haven't even come to that yet. Yeah, We're so far from that. And so I think this is going to be an industry that you have like 10 years of investing. And that's why I'm trying to dive in and learn everything. I think you're going to, we haven't even started. We're in the very beginning, in a kind of an internet way. You know, your first companies are like AOL and Netscape. You know, you have all the, and then it just changes over time as to what are the interesting investments. My overall thesis is you have a hundred billion dollar industry. Most of it's illicit sales. It's about 25 billion legal. Yeah. I think it's going to 200 billion, but most of it's going to be legal. And it's not just because it's an intoxicant, but because cannabis has medicinal value, proven medicinal value. This is also part of my thesis of just how utterly absurd it is that it's federally illegal and classified as a Schedule One drug with no medicinal value. Well, we know that that's not true. Yeah. And and you know this idea that somehow it's a gateway drug, well, we know that's not true. Number one way to cut opioid overdoses and deaths. Number one way, you open one cannabis dispensary and it drops by 20%. That's no amazing. other interventions. That's amazing. And, and, and workers' comp claims fall when cannabis is legalized. You're like, that's the one that gets me crazy. It's like, how is that possible? And you realize that people are self-medicating with really toxic things yeah. that cannabis can replace and that they will perform better and not injure themselves at work. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, this is a long tail opportunity. And that's why I'm paying, it's so fascinating to me where some crazy high percentage of Americans think that you, I think it's like 90 or 91%, but at least believe there should be at least medicinal cannabis or something. 70% mm -hmm. should be legalized and some, and it's just, we as Americans don't agree on anything. And we agree on this. And the other crazy thing is that what's happening with the states is they're finding when they legalize it and look around and they're like, wait, nothing bad happened. Teenage use actually falls. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, you and, get, and, you get, it's not, it's not as rebellious anymore, right? That's it's, exactly oh, you right. You just go by. No, no. And, and then the crazy thing, and then they look around, they go, oh, wait a minute, everything gets a little better. People use less pharmaceuticals, people drink less alcohol. Uh, you know, they, 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 there's work, no like uh, influx of people claims. shooting themselves up. Op yeah, you know. opioid, opioid deaths fall. Uh, 
you know, there's all these, you know, and then, but revenues, ta tax revenues go up and then people are paid more. And then they look around and that's what's happening is all these states are being like, oh my God, look what's going on over there. Like, why don't we do that? Mm -hmm. And then the argument becomes more about social equity and like how you split the pot and you get into the political, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, what you have in the cannabis industry is you just restrict investment in the industry. Yeah. You get very illiquid companies and then you get a lot of volatility and you get big drawdowns, which you have in any stock market. Uh, or, and, and, and this is what, this is, this is, this explains the opportunity. The drawdowns in some of these cannabis stocks have been ruthless. I mean, you just, yeah. I mean, even, even look at MSOS, like I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. It's, it's at where it was when the ETF, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's at it's ETF uh, IPO price, basically. Yeah. Um, it's kind of wild. It's like a 70%. Let's see where it's from the highs. Yeah. A 64% drop. Yeah, that's and that's kind of on the higher or the or the or the lower end of the decline. Um, but going going all the way back to the beginning, where you said you know you've been you've been wrong a lot or wrong you know so far this year. Like, wh what does that what does that mean? Because on one hand, you say we're kind of in spring training, so if we look long term, you're probably not well, wrong, well, right? Yeah. Well, let me let me tell you, it, this is it's really important. You you know this well. I mean, I I love reading your stuff and I love how you think and the people you interview. Thank you. It's really important to understand what you're investing in and what game you're playing. Yeah. With the game I'm playing in cannabis is I don't believe I have any real ability uh, to predict short-term price movements. I've actually proven that, and it's not where I'm personally suited to be the best. I've tried it in the past. I'm no good at it. Um, what I have been able to have success with is understand long-term trends and take advantage of where I think things are going to go over the long term. Great example, I bought 2,000 single-family foreclosed homes in 2012. There's no way you can build four to 500,000 homes a year without a massive shortage happening. Okay. Um, I think that you, what we're doing right now, that investing in cannabis, what I can't predict is the political process. I, I can try to predict, I can put odds, mm -hmm. you know, I just wrote a post. I just made this whole thing about safe banking, you know, that I think could pass, but I don't really know. Um, yeah. It's my best guess. That's not, I'm not investing on the basis of safe banking. Um, but what I believe is happening is you have at least a decade of growth of cannabis, that you have this massive tailwind, that you have industry, you have companies with great management teams building great businesses that, that are advantaged in a number of ways that I can invest in very low at very low valuations, what I think are low value, that, that give me a margin of safety in case a lot of things go wrong. Mm -hmm. Like Glasshouse, I believe, trades near real estate value and wow. has no cannabis upside, you know, priced in at all. Hmm. Um, that's why, you know, that's one example. Like a company like the one of the leaders, Green Thumb, 
you know, I think you're, you're paying like nine times EBITDA for a company that is not only the leader, but has real brands like dog walkers and others. They've got there a killer CEO too. Kovler seems killer like CEO. the real deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And they got their stuff together. You have an up and company like Verano, even though they're slipping up on their uh, earnings, um, that literally trades at like five times. It's possible with New York, depending on how New York goes, it's possible on paying two to three times 2024 EBITDA. Okay, it's possible, right? Yeah. It just, just depends on how things shake out. Um, I've already explained that like, if interstate commerce comes like Glasshouse, $12 a share, I mean, you put the whatever multiple you want, it's not $5 stock, right? Um, there's other companies unlevered smaller companies that are plays on specific markets, I literally think I might be paying three times next year's EBITDA for unlevered, wow. right? And so, so I feel like I'm being, I'm being compensated for a level of risk. Now, could they go to two? Could it go to four? You know, uh, yeah. Yeah, they could. Could people keep selling them? Of course. Mm -hmm. Could safe banking never have, could it, could it, could it take five years for this to happen? Yes. And so I started the fund and what I've told people and I've told my investors is I cannot, I can't predict when this is going to happen. Could be next quarter, could be in five years, could be in seven years. Give me money that's long-term, that's patient, that can handle 20, 30% swings in a month. And we, I believe if this thesis is correct, we are going to be compensated fantastically even if it takes five years. Mm -hmm. I, I glad you mentioned the, the fund. Um, but before, before we kind of get into the long, but it's important. I wanted to go just, it's the game I'm playing. Yes. So the game I'm playing is I'm willing, even though it sucks, to get smacked. <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> now, but that being said, like, remember, this is a very inefficient. So for the first quarter, my fund is down like five or 6% for the year. The MSOS is down 20, right? So is that, so is that your- so there's I ways mean, to outperform, yeah. right? Because there's, remember, I had a big position in goodness growth that was acquired, right? It was now it was acquired. Yep. There's other companies that aren't moving as much because they're so low in price. There's other things you can do, right? In the meantime, to like not just play on this federal legalization. Mm -hmm. When you think about so exit- it's oh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I know I just wanted the game you're playing is so, so important. I'm not trying to play for what this quarter, what this year is going to be. And I'm willing to be embarrassed. I'm willing to be wrong. Yeah, I think I think that's important. I think that's I mean, that's 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 important regardless. And of you know what? Cannabis. I might be wrong and I might yeah. continue to be wrong. Well, one of the ways I think any cannabis investor might be wrong is in the multiple a reasonable buyer is willing to pay for some of these MSOs if if brands don't work. And so if 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 there's any pushback that I have, um, and let's just take Green Thumb for example, because that's one that I've that I've researched. You're buying it at eight to nine times, you know, EBITDA today, it's growing like a, you know, no pun intended, growing like a weed. But what if brands don't really matter? And then like maybe eight to nine is kind of on the expensive side. And you don't get any multiple expansion. And then you just have to hope that growth happens at prices that aren't you know, diluted because of competition. And then the outlook doesn't look so great. Well, what I would say with Green Thumb is that, you know, you're, this is part of my thesis is that 
the long-term underlying demand for cannabis is going to continue to grow. And the rising tide will lift all ships, basically. That's right. Even yeah. if margins fall, that the ultimate market is so much higher. I'll give you one example. The Green Thumb doesn't have much of a presence in Florida, but I'll give you one example of Florida, okay? So Florida is almost 22 million people population, mm -hmm. right? There are... Uh, uh, there are a little less than 700,000 medical cannabis patients. It's just a medical market. It's not adult use. Okay. So what you have to do is you got to, you got to show up, you got to buy a card for like $75. Then there's only 5% of the physicians in Florida are certified that they can prescribe that you are a medical marijuana patient. It costs about 150 to $500 to go see one of these doctors, okay? So it's not an insignificant hurdle um, to become a medical patient. If you don't have a medical card, you cannot step foot in, the, uh, in a, a medical dispensary, okay? Hmm. So if you just look at what other states are that are mature, yeah. they're normally somewhere between 20 and 30% of the population regularly uses cannabis, okay? so. 20 to 30% of 22 million is not 700,000, but more importantly, 130 million tourists visited Florida in 2019. Not one of them could step foot in a medical cannabis store. Yeah. I could make the argument that the correct number of regular users, including just some small amount of the tourists, it's something like 7 million. So that is the argument that the state of Florida could be 10 times the size that it currently is in adult use. Right. And right now there's only about five companies can, that can effectively compete in there because of the forced vertical integration. That's a business. I think company like Air Wellness possibly trades at five times Florida. Yeah. I think Verano could trade at like eight or 10 times Florida. They're in like 14 or 15 other states. Well, the one thing too that you have to keep in mind is at these depressed prices, the embedded expectation looks like it's already for lower margins, no brand yep. affinity, no customer stickiness. And so you're not really paying for any sort of brand value or pricing power at the current stock price, at least for Green Thumb, because that's the only name that I've kind of done some sort of- um, Oh, it gets much cheaper DCF. than Green Thumb. Yeah. It gets much cheaper than Green Thumb, I can tell yeah. you. I would look at Air Wellness as an example of that. But I can tell you that the sentiment in the end, there's nothing like, and you know this, price drives narrative. Mm -hmm. The sentiment in cannabis could not be worse right now. Correct. That's why I launched the fund in November when I, I had like a couple of investments and a minority of my, of my existing fund, my main fund in cannabis. And I watched Verano fall and all the cannabis sector fall. And I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. And then yeah. in November, I was like, I got to launch. I, I got to launch a dedicated fund. I, I think that there's a vehicle to invest where you could marry long-term capital. Because the whole thing is you got to marry the right type of capital with this investment. And I think if anything has done a poor job, and I wrote a post about this, you got to really understand what you're investing in. We're investing in almost quasi-private companies, or a better way is like an option that doesn't expire. 
And so if you've ever invested in options, they're really volatile and you could really lose a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but you got to understand these things are crazy illiquid. And, and, and then there's, you just got to, you got to know what you own and know the risks. Like these things go down, go down 20 or 30% tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But really, and you got to be fine with that. So the idea that you use leverage or it's just, you got to think about strategies of like, hey, do my companies need to raise money? Am I doing anything to kill the long-term portfolio? Don't do anything stupid and, and try to invest in the best management teams with clear-cut strategies. Inside, but it's like the sentiment is terrible. Inside your fund, have you thought about, and you know, I'm you know, sure you have, but this is just me thinking out loud, investing up and down the capital stack. So not just the common equity, but I given given how hard it is to raise yeah, capital for some of these, it. like doing some sort of debt instrument where you're buying debt instead of buying the equity um, and do like a, like, you know, an old it. school Buffett, like some, some, some sort of preferred stock. I've thought about it, but you know, I've, I've talked to some and I, I think I would just rather, uh, just sit with my equity alongside other and the management teams that own a lot of equity. Right. And just see where their money is. Mm-hmm. And I want to be aligned with them. Yeah. I'm not in, just in this for yield. Right. I don't but need yield. If you could get, like, if, if, if companies are paying 3% a month and your fund comes in and you say, oh, hey, and I'll give you private, guys. That's a private, that's a private company. Right. And right, I've had some right. discussions with private companies and there might be some interesting carve outs. Right. It's like, I Hey, you know, you pay me 8% a, a year and I get yeah, a preferred yeah, yeah. on top of that or something. That hey, seems pretty attractive. Yeah. But there's now what's really interesting is the credit costs for the largest companies are starting to really fall. Yeah. I think green is all this like capital. six and a half or seven and a half or something. They yeah. Air, Air wellness announced a crazy thing in their last earnings where it was like a 4.6% mortgage. They were able to wow. secure. It's totally them. crazy. So it's really wild to watch credit costs fall yep. in an industry where the stock prices are falling. Never seen anything like it. Yeah. No, this is this has been a great podcast because it's it's kind of covered everything I've wanted to do, which is, you know, give me some ideas, give me where along the value chain the opportunity is, what are the risks. Um, and you know, we've we we've been able to discuss everything from politics to why you started the fund and the market opportunity. Um, so I really, I really think people are going to learn a lot. I know, I know I did. Um, so, uh, this was, this was a great second episode for you on the show. Oh, thank you. I think I would just say, do the work. You're a really smart guy. I know there's stuff that I'm missing. You, once you start peeling back the layers, it's so utterly fascinating. Do the work. Yeah. Well, I've got a bunch of companies that I can do the work on. It's so fascinating to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, this is this has been great. So I'm going to end with a couple a couple questions first. Um, where where can people go to find out more about you if they, if they haven't listened to our first episode and they want to learn more? Well, I write this weekly newsletter that I'm absolutely loving uh, on Substack. It's mindsetvalue.substack. You can also find me on Twitter at it's at Aaron Value, and then I have a website where you can see my long form reports. Uh, it's mindsetcapital.com. Awesome. And I did not go back and listen to your answer on the first podcast. So 
this is going to be new to me, regardless if you give the same answer or not. But if you could, it must have, have been a great answer. Must if have you, been an amazing. Answer. If you could have dinner with one person from the past or the present, who would it be and why? Oh my gosh. Um, So I'm going to give a totally non. Do you want the investment answer or just in general? No, I don't. If you say Buffett, okay. I'm going to be so upset. Uh, I'm not going to say Buffett. He's, even though it'd be great. Uh, so one of the things that you learn from the investment world is the best thing you can learn is you've got to match a strategy and how you invest to your own person. Okay and who you are personally. I'm a very passionate, emotional guy. And part of the reason I invest long-term is I literally would and have almost imploded Hmm. by trying to focus on the short term. Mm -hmm. It's just too up and down. I'm too much of a bouncing ball. So I've got to do stuff that is long-term in nature that I'm not, that the daily movements or minute-to-minute movements don't bother me because I just wouldn't survive. So one of the things I did many years ago, and I wrote a book about it, is... um, is basically observe the Sabbath. And I take a break from Friday night to Saturday night, I turn off my phone and computer and it saved my life. And it's, it saved, I believe my marriage. It's, uh, it's uh, given me more presence with my kids, helped me ask deeper questions. And I think there's a, there's a, um, I'm Jewish and there's a, there's a famous rabbi who's no longer alive. Uh, named Rabbi uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel. He wrote a book called The Sabbath. It's really small, um, but he was actually a long descendant of these famous, famous rabbis. And uh, he was born in Germany, somehow came out. And he is just this, it was this incredible person, not only in writing and spirituality, but he was actually a friend of Martin Luther King Jr. And he wow. marched with Martin Luther King Jr. And he called it uh, praying with his feet. And what's really really sad is before when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, like he was scheduled to have Passover Seder with Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel like a week Mm -hmm. or two later. I forget exactly when he was, but it was soon after. Um, And so it's someone like that who uh, has influenced my life, who is asking bigger questions, who has not only spent spirit, but but it's like practical and spiritual. Um, That is someone that I would, I would, it would be amazing to have had the opportunity to talk to him and learn with him. And one of the things I also try to do is um, just try to take what I've learned and give back in different ways. And I'm working on this amazing homelessness initiative to build housing for the homeless and kind of hacking the regulatory system in California. And it's, it, it, it really, I think to be an investor, you've got to have a strong foundation and you got to have something outside the investment world. Yeah. And I think that it helps to have your personal life and also have your mind understand that this is the game it's an important game, but that this is the game we play. It's probably the best game there is. Yeah. Um, and the best players treat it like a game. Doesn't mean it's not important. And then that investors' money and my money is like I have all my money in my funds, right? So, 
Yeah. But it's it's important to ask the bigger questions and to be on solid footing and to do stuff for other people. And 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 that's why I give that answer. I love it. I bet you that's the answer you gave last time. The only difference. No, 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 don't, don't say my bad. I mean, it's like good lessons should be repeated. Um, the only, the only difference is, is your homeless initiative. So is there a website or anything you, you have? Yeah, it's that called we can... Dig, Dignity Moves. So I'm okay. part of a group. Okay. And it's the most amazing thing. So dignitymoves.org. So really quick, it's almost impossible to build in California. Like, yeah. This is my bowl case on Glasshouse, right? So it's almost impossible if you've done any renovation or I tried to build anything in California, it's like impossible, right? Um, and so what we've done is we've gotten counties and cities to agree to give us land because land's really expensive in Santa Barbara, San Francisco, wherever. And they give us land for like three years. Then we bring in uh, factory built modular housing units. Okay. And because they can be moved, and I'm using air quotes for your podcast listeners, um, they qualify as under California's emergency shelter. So why is that important? It means there's no community review. And if the county self-permits, there's no city review. So instead of a homelessness project taking four to five years, if you're lucky, that can be annihilated a million ways, you go to fire and safety and that's it. Then, wow. because the land's free, and because you're using factory-built housing units that are like 10 by 10, you can build them for 15,000 with the site work at 30,000. So instead of it taking four to five years, up to 750,000 a unit, that's what they're spending on housing for the homeless. We can build it for 30,000 a unit in six months. That's incredible. Now with the supply chain, it's taken us about seven or eight months. We just opened our first project in San Francisco. There was an empty lot of land where 40 people were living in a tent. And now there are 70 units and those people have dignified housing units with wraparound services. And so what we've been doing is raising philanthropic dollars so that the city or county can use their funds to pay for wraparound mental health and addiction services. And what we're now trying to do is figure out an impact investment model where if we can get the states or counties or cities to give us like rent, we can invest, take impact investing dollars to say, hey, we'll pay you 5% a year. And then we can just start building them everywhere. That's awesome. That's so And then cool. ask the question, why would you have anyone live outside? Yeah. Yeah. That is such a, I, I was in California last summer. My wife's family took a vacation and I tagged along with them. Um, tagged along sounds like the wrong word. Now that we're married, but <laughs> anyways, back then it was tagged a lot. You might still be, <laughs> but one of the one of the most depressing things I saw in California, and again, like in so in Baltimore, Maryland, you have this very similar situation. Um, and I actually wonder if dignity moves would be something that could be started in Baltimore. Um, but Everywhere. the the homelessness that I saw driving through California on our way to Joshua National Shocking. State Park. It was so shocking. Every bridge had multiple tents. It was, it was, I mean, the highways were packed. Like you would have thought it was like a memorial service for some like, you know, deputy or sergeant that got assassinated or something, but it's like, these are just homeless people that, that, that live there. It's so sad. Well, we're working on it. 
Yeah, I'm gonna see if this. I'm gonna see if we could do something like this in Baltimore. That'd be that'd be. You tell you tell me. You tell me. I'd love to. It's yeah. a Big Ten idea. We're trying. We're by. We already have one project open. We have another. This crazy thing is it doesn't exist. Eighteen months ago, Dignity Moves in it. It's a group of business people that were like, "How can we act as an accelerant?" Because when you talk to the service providers in the city, they have people. They have no roots, right? Yep. They have nowhere to put them, and so we're not claiming we're the expert, but we know how to get stuff done. Yeah. We know how to like, kind of like go like this, you know, hack the system. And and so we're about to open their second project here in Santa Barbara at the end of May. And then what's really cool is there's these project home key grants that California has basically they have extra money and they're like, we got to do this. Dignity moves organization didn't, didn't exist 18 months ago, just won $30 million of grants for two more permanent projects wow that's awesome so fun it's so exciting all right well i'm 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 glad you brought that up because we will be in touch about that with 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 baltimore um but again aaron thanks so much for coming on the show i there's a lot of value that you created from this podcast that i think people are gonna oh thank you i hope so and 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 use it so thanks so much best of luck with dignity moves uh in san francisco best of luck with your cannabis fund your main fund all the stuff you got going on um, and let's do this again next year. We'll do it again. That sounds, that sounds great. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Ticker. Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional-level investment research to you, the individual investor. Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ and has coverage of over 50,000 stocks globally with financial data, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership percentages, transcript filings, news, and more. ValueHive listeners can join Ticker's free beta trial today at ticker.com forward slash hive. That's T-I-K-R dot com forward slash hive.